Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. New age-based vaccine rollout faces backlash. Is it a slap in the face for key frontline workers or the fairest way forward? We'll be hearing from school principal and broadcaster Colm O'Rourke in just a few moments on the teacher's frustration. And Enfit warns any increase in social contacts over Easter could lead to a significant fourth wave. So can the public hold firm? On our first panel tonight, Government Chief Whip and Minister of State for Sport, the Gwaeltoct and Defence, Jack Chambers, and Sinn Féin spokesperson on finance, Pierce Doherty. Later in the programme, pubs and restaurants outraged over lack of clarity for reopening this summer. Plus, have we been too slow when it comes to opening up sports for children? And would you get your child vaccinated? Get in touch via Twitter with the hashtag TonightVMTV. Our first guest this evening is the principal of St. Patrick's Classical School in Navan County Meath, the columnist and broadcaster Colm O'Rourke. Colm, how are teachers taking the news that they're no longer going to be on a priority list for the vaccine, but back in amongst the general mass public? I would think, Matt, that they're a little frustrated, maybe a bit angry about it. I think there would be serious concern considering the the virulence of the new strain of the COVID. And I think when you talk about teachers in general, in a, in, a, in a group of people, it's not comparing like with like when you say that they're the same as everybody else, because there's no other group in society who have such close contact uh, with people. Like, for example, a teacher could have 30, 18-year-olds in a classroom for an hour class. So that sort of environment is where we're told that this sort of COVID spreads rapidly. So I would have thought that in the interest of the one million uh, pupils and students who attend our schools, that it would be in order to get the 65,000 teachers vaccinated as quickly as possible to ensure that the schools would remain open. The Gardaí would argue that they come into closer contact with people. I mean, have the classrooms not been set up to allow for adequate social distancing, face mask wearing, to make sure that there's a limited chance of any outbreak of COVID in the classroom? I think, Matt, the reality of life in all schools is that there is probably no school who have been able to maintain the two-metre social distancing in classrooms because classrooms aren't designed for that sort of thing. And uh, just schools weren't able to create new classes or get new teachers because the number of substitute teachers available is almost nil. So in reality, what is happening is that most schools have gone back to as near normal as possible with teachers and students in the same classrooms and in the same numbers and with less social distancing than we would like. But in order just to get back to school, and we all want to get back with all our students 
on the 12th of April, the reality is that we cannot maintain the sort of social distancing which is necessary to prevent spreading of COVID. But wasn't the reality also that you weren't going to get vaccinated by the end of May anyway, given the speed at which the vaccine rollout is going, that this change in the order of vaccination is irrelevant given the school summer holidays? Well, that's true. But uh, I think if you look at the, the Health Pre Prevention Surveillance Unit, unit uh, came up last week that uh, outbreaks in school had doubled last week. So, like, I think that the teacher should have been prioritised before some of the other age groups, because if, if that sort of numbers keep increasing, and we had also, you have to remember, a limited number of students in school up to now, we were looking forward to welcoming back first, second and third years after the Easter break. So that will more than double the size of school. So the, the risks involved are much higher. And therefore, I think a priority should have been to get the teacher vaccinated. I, I know it sounds a bit grubby that everybody in, the, in this pandemic seemed to be able to get one up on, an, on another age group. But there's very few groups who are, who are not classified as frontline workers, like teachers, but who actually have uh, a sort of frontline status. OK, stay with us, Colin. We're also joined here in studio by Government Chief Whip and Minister of State for Sport, the Gaeltacht and Defence, Jack Chambers, and by Sinn Féin spokesperson and finance, Piers Doherty. If I start with you, didn't effectively you have a deal with the teachers and the Gardaí by announcing where they would be when it came to vaccinations that you're now reneging upon? Well, no, if you, if you take a step back, the National Immunisation Advisory Council had a, a long sequencing of, which included a number of uh, key workers, and they were categorised around, say, category 10 and, and sequenced below that. Um, and we've always said from the start that the vaccine strategy is a live strategy, it's fluid. Uh, and the latest advice that has come to government uh, is that we, we age is the single biggest determinant when it comes to morbidity, mortality, uh, and when it comes to hospitalisation and ICU. Uh, and when you see what Professor Karina Butler, uh, Dr. Ronan Glynn, Professor or Dr. Kidian de Gascoon have all said today, uh, they've been very clear that age being the single biggest determinant, uh, you, you have to prioritise those. And we've said this from the very start, prioritising those who are most vulnerable and could be impacted most by the disease. Uh, and I have absolute value and respect um, for all the workers. And I acknowledge uh, Colm and, and many other uh, teachers. But there will be, for example, we're, like, we're not abandoning vulnerable people at all. If you, like, for example, a teacher with a chronic disease who might be aged 30 um, will be sequenced in category seven, so we'll get the vaccine very shortly. Uh, a guard who similarly might be aged 40 who has a, a chronic respiratory condition or, or, or other high-risk disease profile will also get the vaccine. And what we're doing is, like, vaccination strategy works when it's done on a population scale. Uh, and the clear advice, we would be reneging and undermining the public health advice that we've received NIAC and NEFIT, the collective scientific and medical advice, is that age is the quickest and most rapid way to scale up our vaccination programme. And we have, there is hope for people. Uh, in, in, in April, 
May and June, we're going to have a serious scaling up of our vaccination from to the extent well, that 80%... Are you? Because we heard tonight that you, they, Stephen Donnelly told Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Party, it isn't going to be a million people in April, it's going to be 860,000. You keep losing numbers no. that you expect to be vaccinated. So no, there'll, there'll be extra in May, so it'll be over 800,000 in April. Wait, we're supposed to be a million. In excess of a million in May. But, but I captured... You're in, changing captured, the numbers. No, Pierre Sardi, what do you make no, of the I, fact I, that I they're changing the numbers. Can, can I just uh, no, be, no, let's no, bring Pierce in. Okay. And what do you think about the situation in relation to essential frontline workers like teachers and Gardaí? Yeah, look, I've I, I seen the, uh, the the reports coming out of the Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Party and I'm quite taken aback. I was kind of talking to people and I was saying that's possibly not true, but we're here now from the Minister of State that that is the fact because yesterday, as this was all being announced, it was told to us repeatedly by the Taoiseach, by the Taoiseach, it's a million vaccines in April May and June. That's what was told. Now we've lost in the next month, we've lost 140,000 vaccines. That's not insignificant. And that's a trend, unfortunately, because we've had issue in terms of uh, the, the supply of, of vaccines in the past. So this is disappointing. And it kind of, the government keeps on talking about big numbers and, you know, there's hope there and we all waiting for that hope. But What's happening in the meantime is that people like the SNAs, people like the teachers who were given commitments, who were given commitments about going back into the classroom and being prioritised, have been have been slapped in the face basically by this government. You know, we've had a cabinet decision taken. We had the Minister Norma Foley who took that decision, basically blaming Nyack for the fact that the teachers and the SNAs now are not going to get the promise that she gave them and, and blaming Nyack and saying that they have to go and, and explain this to, uh, to, 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 to those cohorts. And I think that's a, a, a very bad step. I think you need to revisit that. I think that there are groups of society that we need to prioritise and nobody is disputing the fact that age, is the, age and, and, and underlying conditions are, are the main factors. But even in the programme as exists today, there are groups then outside of that, such as, for example, key workers in the vaccination programme and also key workers in our health the service. Government haven't, doesn't it have to follow the advice against from ENFIT and NIAC? If it didn't, wouldn't you be complaining about it, prioritising people who the health authorities tell them not to? Well, first of all, look, the government have made commitments that, like, let, let's be clear on that. They've made commitments in relation to cohorts of individuals. They've told them that they would be prioritised mm. and they've now told them you know, in a press release or in a leak, they're saying, no, you're not going to get prioritised anymore. And I think that's wrong. And I think that as a, as a society, and nobody was complaining about this, nobody was complaining that the teachers, the SNAs, our key workers and our Gardaí would be prioritised over others in lower age cohorts. Because people thought, yes, they are the people who we demand and we expect to go out and keep our community safe, who teach our education, who help our special needs children in the classroom, and who, who feed us in the shops, no matter how bad the pandemic gets in our community. So we recognise that after the most vulnerable were dealt with in society and were vaccinated, then yes, they, they needed to be looked at at the next step. And I think that the decision taken at the end of the day by Cabinet is the wrong decision and should be revisited. OK, I want to go back to Colm O'Rourke because we heard there about how Norma Foley had made promises as Minister for Education to the teachers and the SNAs. Would you be fearful now that given that we have the teacher union conferences next week, that there could be a doubt about the resumption of school, that we could have some sort of threat to the Leaving Cert, perhaps if the Leaving Cert teachers weren't vaccinated? Well, I have often been an outspoken critic of the unions, and uh, in this case, I'm sort of supporting their viewpoint, but I, I don't think anybody should think in that regard. I think that has settled down. I don't think that it should be revisited. Uh, I wasn't happy with the outcome of the Leaving Cert, but be that as it may, I think it behoves us as uh, professionals now, whether we agree with it or not, 
to get back with the job of preparing the students for the leaving certs for the accredited grades and the written exams. And to get everybody back on the 12th of April, I think that that's what the vast, vast majority of teachers want. But I suppose we do feel that the rules were changed at half time in the game and we expected to be vaccinated. And I think uh, there's a lot of concern among the teachers of now going back at a time when the COVID seems to be getting a bit more prevalent in the communities. But we will play our part. We'll go back and we'll do our best. Thank you very much, Colm O'Rourke, for joining us. Well, we're joined now by Professor of Experimental Immunology with Trinity College Dublin, Kingston Mills. Kingston, what do you think of this decision to change the order in which people are vaccinated? Is it correct? Is it fair? Um, good evening, Matt. Um, I think that there are a couple of ways of looking at this. I'm not questioning the decisions of NIAC. I think it, it makes total sense to do this on an age basis. And absolutely, the older population are the high risk for disease. And it's perfectly the correct thing to do to immunise the older people first. But there are two risks. One is the risks of disease and the other is the risks of infection. And once you've immunised all the older population, the over 65s, which are the individuals that are most likely to, to get hospitalised and die from this um, disease, then you have to look at the risks of infection and transmission. And that is in the younger population, unfortunately, under 35 or so, and in certain work settings where it is um, more transmissible, for example, meat factories and even perhaps in schools where people are coming in contact, a lot of people coming in contact with each other. And we know now from the transmissible variants, more transmissible variants, that transmission in schools and there's been a significant number of, of, of cases in schools in the last few weeks. So um, I believe that um, one should also look at the possibility of trying to prevent infections and transmissions by immunising to cohorts where the transmission and infections are higher. And that's the point I was trying to make. Sorry, does that mean immunising younger people, sort of going against the sort of accepted way of starting older and working down? Yeah, I accept there's an ethical issue about that and the older people mightn't think too kindly about it. But if you look at it this way, is a 55-year-old working at home who is not meeting many other people a higher risk than a 25-year-old who's working at the cold face, either in a meat factory, a guard or a, or a, a teacher? Um, and they're at much higher risk of, of getting infected and transmitting it then to somebody else. So there's a, there is a, um, a debate that needs to be had about which is the best way of doing this once you've vaccinated the vulnerable from disease you then need to look at the, the, the most vulnerable from infection. And those are the people who come in contact with each other the most. OK, stay with us, Kingston. Pierce, the position though, that you're advocating for the Republic is at odds with what happens in the North, isn't it? Where you're in government and you actually have a situation where it's done on an age basis without special interest groups. No, it's not actually done completely on an age basis. So, for example, we've been very strong in advocating that carers, there's half a million carers here that provide care, not prioritised at all in terms of the, the vaccine rollout. In the North, they are prioritised. Uh, you also had a cohort of, of teachers who were teaching in terms of special needs education, which was actually prioritised. But I think the difference here in terms of the North, first of all, there's commitments that were given. That's really important to cer certain sectors. But remember, Matt, the North is vaccinating people in their 40s at the minute. I think if you told teachers out there or SNAs that we'll start vaccinating people in their 40s next week or tomorrow, then it would be a different conversation. That's the problem. And we're even hearing just tonight, there's more slippage in relation to that. And when you call a spade a spade, what really happening here is that the government are trying to do those with underlying conditions. 
uh, they're finding it a nightmare because they have no database whatsoever of people with underlying conditions. In the north, it works seamlessly because they have a database of everybody with an underlying condition in the north. So it worked seamlessly. Here, we don't have it. So this, you know, if you listen to Michael Martin's press conference yesterday, he talked about trying to identify different cohorts of key workers and so on and so forth. And how would you do it? And then how would you get the vaccines to places? And really, that's what's frustrating me and what's frustrating a lot of people that have been in contact with me, because the government had months to deal with this. They had months to get these lists together, that they get these cohorts together, get the IT systems up and running. They didn't do it. We've so known, they've thrown Jack, in the towel. since late last year that we had a vaccine coming. So why is it that there still seems to be confusion as to who's in what cohort, who is eligible to get an earlier vaccine? Well, just Professor Karina Butker said that the complexity around identifying occupations or, or other matters was not a factor in this. That age and the science around who we know um, gets more gets hospitalised, which age is the determining factor, and it was the central factor. Yeah, this but recommendation. What about people with underlying conditions? Because there seems to be confusion so as is, to who gets into what cohort, depending on the illness they have. Well, well there, that's been set out by by NIAC, um, and that's it's clear. For it's any. been set out, but then are people knowing where yeah. they are and when they're likely to get their so vaccination? There's, so there's interaction between general practitioners and consultants on, on aligning uh, an underlying condition. Uh, with the category of high risk and very high risk. And they actually set out, for example, if you take, they take, I've, I've looked at it myself, you take, for example, very high risk, they look at certain parts, end stage renal failure, they look at, uh, say, certain neurological conditions that, uh, you know, and, and they've categorised them pretty specifically, actually. So for a consultant neurologist, they know exactly what goes into a very high risk category versus the high risk category. But I just would like to say one point that like, I, I read, Pierce, your uh, COVID vaccine strategy published by your health spokesperson, David Cullinan, and uh, it, it had a lot of positive uh, references, for example, on harmonising the approach both sides of the border, on, on, on implementing the latest scientific advice. So government yesterday at Cabinet, we implemented the latest scientific advice from NIAC. And I just have, if, if you were consistent on this uh, in the North, and you, were, you said you were going to sequence it based on occupations, I'd respect your position. But you're criticising and attacking a position in the South that you're implementing in the North. And so that's not a credible political position. Jack. And it's not credible to teachers, to guards, to people that you're talking to uh, by saying that you'd vaccinate them over anybody else. You know from the Northern experience that age is the central determinant factor and you implemented the scientific advice, the scientific and medical advice, both sides of the border, is aligned. Well, can and, I just and, make this and, point? And, 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 just, and I can own, make this point. And and maybe own, you, maybe you can answer. strategy actually sets that out. Maybe you can answer this here because we had this debate in the, in the, in the House today, in the, in the Dáil today. Half a million carers in the North, every single one of them is vaccinated or can get vaccinated and was able to get vaccinated for the last while. That is because Sinn Féin have tried to ensure that that happens. But so what you're talking about that everything is the same, it's not. There are different cohorts in the North that are being identified above age because of the important did, did role did that they... PSNI officers it, get vaccinated No, not, not, not at the minute. But as you're I said, advocating for Gardaí in the but South. See, so you're, now, you, you're, now, you change, now you change the tune. So you say everything's the same North and South, but it's not. You're deciding that carers should not be vaccinated here, no, whereas in the North they are. And the difference is night and day, Jack. We're, Seriously, we're, we're in the North, people at the age the of 40 can get vaccinated in the month of March. That's and, the difference. And Whereas have, you're talking about, what, are we going to have the 70s done in June? Or you know, like it's, no, it's 80, unbelievable. 80% 80, 80 of adults will have seen their, received their first vaccine by the end of June, which is a massive so scaling what, when up will the 40, In the North, people in their 40s are getting vaccinated now. When will that happen in the South? Well, if you take 80% by the end of June for their first dose, it'll happen through June. Absolutely. So that's the difference. 
Well, well, let me bring Kingston back in on this, because Kingston, how concerned are you that we don't have the IT systems to allow the information from doctors and consultants as to who should get a vaccine, get to the people who are giving the vaccines? Uh, a number of us have been talking about this IT system for some time. Um, last year and before that even, and the lack of an IT system, integrated IT system in in the HSC and the healthcare system in Ireland is, is deplorable, quite frankly. It's, it's probably the only country, in, developed country in the world that doesn't have an IT, integrated IT system. It's absolutely paramount that we have this. Reporting on the side effects for vaccines, for example, you know, if you have a barcode, which there is on every vaccine batch, you can relate that exactly to the person with a patient patient identifier number. So if there, if there are any reactions, you know who has it. And the same with the rollout. You know who the cohorts are. You know whether they've been vaccinated. If they move from one GP to another, the data will be there on a computer, which is accessible either in a hospital or in a GP surgery. This is standard practice in every country in Europe, and it's not in Ireland. And we were told we were going to have one by Christmas. And um, I'm, I, I haven't heard yet that we do have have one. So it is a big deficit not having the IT system. And Kingston, we've just been hearing there from Jack Chambers, 80% of adults will have their first shot by the end of June. So when will everybody have their two doses if they need the two doses? And if all adults get it, is that going to be enough to give us herd immunity, given the large number of young people we have in the country? Yeah, I mean, to get herd immunity with the before the, the, the UK variant came along, the estimate was 70% of the population. And now it's probably closer to 80% the sort of estimates because of more transmissibility of the UK variant. And that, that's the whole population, including children. So in Ireland, 24% of the population is under 18. So even if you immunise 100% of all adults, you won't reach herd immunity. So children will have to be brought into this. And the really good news today is that Pfizer just announced in a press release that they have got the first data on 12 to 15 year olds with their vaccine. The vaccine is very safe and generates a very good immune response, very good antibodies in those age groups. So they'll be looking now for licensure in the FDA and the EMA for 12 to 15 year olds. And currently they're starting trials for six month olds to 12 month olds. So that will happen soon. Moderna are doing the same and um, AstraZeneca as well are, are, are starting trials in children. So these vaccines vaccines will be, um, I anticipate, licensed later in the summer for use in children. And I imagine that Ireland will have to um, vaccinate, start vaccinating children in the autumn to get up to herd immunity. But we won't have herd immunity by just by vaccinating adults. Listening to that, Pierce, would you be in favour of the idea of vaccinating children, teenagers and then smaller children? I think that's up to... I, I, in, are you asking in terms of compulsory vaccination or...? Well, yes, if yeah. that's needed. Look, if the, no, well, I, do, I don't believe that we should be going down that, that road. I think it is in relation to choice. All right, then would you um, encourage people look, to vaccinate I, their teenagers I, and children? I, I, I'm the father of four children. If there's a vaccination that is approved and that, that is deemed safe, I will. my four children will be taking the vaccination. What work has the government done in relation to planning for this? But we've a lot of pre-purchase agreements, as you know, we've we've got huge excess supply. I know at, at the moment it's difficult for people to appreciate that when when we're when we're only scaling up. But we've got excess supply actually by by mid-autumn, so we'll have pop, we'll have vaccinated the population. So we've we've got pre-purchase agreements for millions of excess vaccines. And um, but I I would agree with Pierce. Uh, we obviously. Hopefully we get EMA approval of Pfizer and other vaccines and we can expand that out to, to okay. children and teenagers. What's the story of mandatory quarantine now? Because we're hearing about there's a problem in relation to countries like France and Germany that the Attorney General has an issue with actually making these people pay to be held for two weeks. What's the story? Yeah, so there's consultation across government 
on that. So the Minister for Health is engaging with, under the legislation, he's obliged to engage with the Minister for Foreign Affairs and Defence, uh, Simon Coveney, uh, and that's that the assessment of those countries is, is underway and a decision will will uh, will be made once the... Is there a legal problem that may prevent us from putting... I mean, France is now going into a four-week lockdown. They're even closing the schools because they're so worried. And yet, could it be that people will travel from France and won't be put into mandatory quarantine in Ireland? Well, as a Cabinet, we'll receive uh, the final legal advice from the Attorney-General when the consultation between the Minister for Health and the Minister of Foreign Affairs has concluded, uh, and we'll implement uh, the recommendations accordingly. Pierce, what should happen? Look, we're very clear there should be mandatory quarantine for all non-essential travel onto the island of Ireland. I think the, the government have gone, you know, done half half a job here, um, and we can see what's happening across Europe. Like, if there's legal difficulties here, that's there's legislation passing allow for mandatory quarantine and new countries to be added. That would have been legally proofed by the Attorney General. So I'm surprised if there's a, if there's a new legal issues in relation to that. But I think this week again has shown just the way that the government are all over the place in relation to that. Like we had leaks in the paper about 45 new countries going to be added. Then we had Simon Coveney saying nobody consulted with him. There's a legal requirement to do this. There is a legal requirement. Yeah, but to fairness, well, why is the minister out saying that it's going to happen? That's that's the, that's the point. That's the, that the, that's the you you would have been in the dull of the legislation. That's the factual position and he is being consulted uh, and that's the assessment process. Okay. We're, we're uh, let, let me bring Kingston back into this because how important to you is the issue of mandatory quarantine coming for countries where they have an increase particularly of the new variant? The biggest risk to our successful vaccine rollout and success of vaccines, and it has to be said, I mean, the vaccines are unbelievably successful. Who would have ever dreamed that we would have half a dozen vaccines that are highly effective six months ago? And we have, which is brilliant. And we have the potential now to, to really, you know, wipe this virus out by, by vaccination. The biggest threat to it are the variants, not the UK variant, but the South African and Brazilian variant. These variants are less they're more capable of escaping the immune responses that the vaccines generate. And it's already been shown in efficacy trials that the efficacy against the variants, especially the South African one, is reduced compared with that against the UK or the original variants. So there is a huge risk around the variants, especially the South African Brazilian. So we have to do everything to keep those variants out of Ireland. They're already in certain countries in Europe and they're increasing countries like Austria, Germany, France, Italy. So we have to, I agree with the, the new measures around the, um, the test on arrival and that combined with the pre-departure okay. three-day test is, is ideal. All right, thank you very much, Kingston Mills, for being with us, and Pierce Doherty. Minister of State Jack Chambers will be staying with us after the break. Pubs less frustrated about the lack of clarity in the revised plan. And will the government's new 17 million euro fund for outdoor dining go anywhere near far enough? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back. Minister of State Jack Chambers has stayed with us. We're joined now by businesswoman Nora Casey and also by the chair of the Licensed Fitness Association, MD of the Bridge 1859 and Lemon and Duke Bars, Noel Anderson. Noel, if I can start with you, there was nothing mentioned about pubs reopening in yesterday's statement by the Taoiseach, but how could there have been really? Well, firstly, Matt, I think it's important to point out that we never asked uh, to be reopened um, we weren't looking for that. We were looking for clarity, some roadmap and a bit of hope. I mean, unfortunately, there's an awful lot of anger and frustration out there in the trade. And the leader of the country effectively excluded an entire segment of the, uh, of the economy. So what do you want? I mean, do you want to be told you can open in June, July, August? Uh, what type of crowds you'll be allowed to leave in pubs? What is it you want? We'd like some clarity, Matt. It's as simple as that. We'd like some hope. We'd like to be told, listen, when we get to this percentage of the uh, population vaccinated, this is when we think you guys can step in. And, uh, and our members are just looking for some hope, Matt. I mean, the reality is two thirds of the uh, pubs in this country are closed 380 days today. That's 380 days. And they sat there last night and looked at the news and didn't get one screed of hope from the government. There was also an announcement today of a 17 million euro fund for restaurants and cafes, which might be available to some pubs that serve food. But is that going to be of really much use, given that for many pubs and restaurants, and I know your own, there isn't actually any space into which you could actually put additional seating? No, look, well, firstly, uh, it's important to acknowledge that it is of benefit to some of our members. But the reality is, again, to two thirds of our members who don't serve food, they're not entitled to uh, this grant, uh, which for us is just a really worrying symbol of another divide that the government is trying to create in our sector. They don't have the opportunity to apply for this grant and we can't understand why they don't. Uh, but yes, you know, lots of people can't apply for it. But, you know, where they where they can, we do welcome additional support. OK, Jack Chambers, there's even the 17 million euro fund today. Is that really going to be that helpful to restaurants and cafes? I was talking to one restaurant owner today, a cafe owner. It would pay for the cost of one permanent umbrella for one table. Look, I, I acknowledge that it's, it's not going to be the solution for every pub or restaurant, but it is a, I think it's a signal from government that we want to see. Like if you hear, listen to Professor Philip Nolan and many people in the medical community, like we'll, it'll be an outdoor summer. Uh, and part of that will be uh, hopefully about trying to facilitate many pubs and, and restaurants. Uh, and if you look at what we have tried to signal in the document, I accept April uh, and May, there's going to be a very limited reopening. But we want this to be uh, the last time we go backwards. And we want to see the, every reopening being a permanent reopening. And I think that's better for the to tourism and hospitality sector and pubs and restaurants that when they get open, they stay open, they've certainly ran their business. We've also extended a lot of the existing horizontal supports in terms of the employment wage subsidy scheme, the COVID restriction support scheme out to the end of June. And we've also been clear that there won't be a cliff edge to those supports. Um, but as we, as I said earlier on in the programme, 80% of our population is scheduled to be vaccinated by the end of June. And that, that we've also tried to signal in the document in July uh, that 
in that period we'll, we'll, we'll try to have a summer similar to last summer. If people where, are allowed where, to travel where, outside of their where, counties. And, and, and no I think case, hope for that. From the business person's point of view, is what's been said by the government good enough? Well, if you're talking about the 17 million and the 4,000 to do outdoor space, I mean, if this whole studio was the problem businesses are facing, that would be a tiny speck. Most businesses who have outside space have already got heaters in, they've already got umbrellas, they've already tried to maximise it. But for obvious reasons, weather included, most people who serve food they maximise their indoor space. And they also invested a huge amount in that, putting up screens, bringing in COVID preparedness, which has not been used. So they're open, closed, open, closed, and now they're closed again, with no possibility of a clear timeline as to when they're open again. I'd just like to say something much bigger, right? We have a COVID committee, which is full of people who are experts in that field. Why do we not have a business committee full of experts in that field? The UK government has 22 entrepreneurs and business leaders advising them. In this country, I don't try to be a politician. I don't want to be Jack. I don't want to be the Taoiseach or the Tornish, but I'm very good at running business because only people who run business know just how hard it is. You know, the sheer grit and determination, the impact it has on your mental health, on your physical health. Just let me finish, Mark, because people don't understand this. It's not about being a civil servant. It's not about being an economist or being a scientist. But when I walk into my business, every single aspect of it is down to me. I have the sheer terror of knowing that I have to pay those employees at the end of the month. And I can tell you there have been times for my own physical health. Only a few years ago, I wandered around for one week with a rumbling and then a ruptured appendix because I didn't feel I could take the time off. There are business owners right throughout the country who have done that to put their businesses on a footing. My family ate in a three-bed lodge in Phoenix Park in a Desh school. I have built my business on one lifetime. There are families out there with multiple lifetimes that they've put into their SMEs and they have nothing to pass on to their kids. And yes, at the moment, we have policy supports that do great work in terms of keeping those businesses afloat. They've used their own cash reserves, many of them. The central bank said most SMEs, by the way, here's the figures, they dwarf all of the other groups in the country. 250,000 employing 1.3 million people and one in two with losses of over Nora, 10 billion. I suspect there are many people watching, particularly people involved in business and their employees, who are very sympathetic to what you're saying. But there are other people who will say, that's exactly what was said last October, November. The government listened to it and opened up prematurely. And that's why we're in the situation we're in now. I'm in no trade. Look, I was a nurse. There's no trade-off ever for me between public health and business. But I don't see why everybody in Cabinet and everybody in government is focused on COVID. At least set aside a group of people to talk about business and recovery. And I know we have a stimulus plan based on EU. Don't tell me about all the different acronyms and all the different supports that are there. They're just not happening because businesses at the moment are on their knees. I know because I talk to them. I talk to them all day, every day. They've given up. They've been through so much over the last year, this roller coaster that they've been on. They don't see the future because... We don't need to know that they'll be open in June. We need a strategy over the next three years okay. as to how people can recover. Jack Chambers, I interviewed uh, Danny McCoy of Ibeck on Monday night and he said there's an, ex an abundance of overcaution at this stage, an excessiveness in the government's position. Have you become afraid to listen to the legitimate voices of business and economic interests for fear of the criticism that you got before last Christmas? No, not at all. Like, in fact, this is about protecting... Uh, protecting our economy and society so that when we, we allow businesses to reopen, they can stay open. And if you look at the clear objective public health advice, the situation presently is precarious. So if we set out, uh, we don't want to give a false timeline or deadline to businesses that they can open in X number of weeks. Um, but the vaccination 
strategy offers a way out of this. And just, just in a couple of things, there is a tourism task force, Minister Martin, uh, Minister Vradker uh, and others have direct engagement with many people in the tourism and hospitality sector and a lot of positive policy initiatives come from that. And just on a broader point, we are developing a national recovery plan and business will be at the centre of that. Employment will be at the centre of that. If the businesses that. are still and able to well, open, if they're financially Excuse me, can I just mention the business experts are not at the centre of that. Politicians and civil servants are. Now, you wouldn't dream of having a COVID committee with people who are just politicians and civil servants. You bring in experts, scientific experts and medical experts. Why don't you have some good expert, experienced business owners to sit around the table to talk about what does it feel like? Where are you, where are you going to get the strategy around cash flow? When those policy supports end in June, Jack, there's loads of businesses that will well, go to the we, wall. We've been clear there won't be a cliff edge. And, uh, and, and, Sorry, uh, where is your and, magic and, crystal ball and, there? And also, How do you know there's not going to be a cliff edge? I because, have no idea why you would even say well, that. Well, I, I will tell you, say that because the whole reason government has extended those supports to the end of June uh, and, and perhaps beyond that'll be a government decision is to do the very thing that you're talking about, is to keep businesses afloat. The Central so Bank so and the ESRI have already said that businesses will go to the wall. Now, I just say to you, yes, there'll be room for startups over the next few years and so there should be. We should have a plethora of startups, but not at the expense of I, somebody in a town. I'm sorry, can I also put it to you, Jack, that we, Dr. Mike Ryan of the World Health Organization has repeatedly said lockdown is not a solution, that he actually understands the economic reasons to actually get money going in an economy to pay the bills. I mean, isn't Ireland way out of line with the rest of Europe and the rest of the world with having mandatory lockdown of businesses which could go out of business because of it? Well, look, we're, we're keeping many businesses afloat through the, the massive... You're keeping them closed. But, no, well, but through a massive level of support. But if you look back in January, we had 42,000 cases in a week. Uh, we had thousands in hospital. And we don't want to go back there. This is we, not an we're, answer we're, to business we're, recovery. We are we, every to... time we talk about business, we talk about COVID. I'm accepting that there's a problem with COVID. Everybody, there's not a business owner out there that wants to put... The reason why they closed immediately is because they wanted to protect their customers. They wanted to protect their staff and protect their customers, and they still do. But we need a strategic plan for recovery that yeah, involves... Okay, us okay, well, let me bring Noel Anderson back in on this. Okay. And Noel is waiting patiently. Yeah. Noel, would you be fearful that many pubs, you represent them in Dublin, but around the country as well, by the time we get to them been told you can reopen, that they simply won't be able to afford to do so. Yes, absolutely. Um, I suppose I speak for the hospitality industry in general. Particularly, I'd be particularly concerned about the country publicans. I think the city centre will be the, the uh, hardest to recover. And I'd be very worried about the restaurants. 90% of them are uh, renting. I mean, just like to pick up the minister's comments there about the tourism task force. There is no representative from the pub industry or the restaurant industry on that tourism task force, and it absolutely beggars belief. We should be absolutely part of the recovery, and we're not. How can that be, Jack Chambers? I mean, when people come to Ireland, one of the main attractions is going to the pub. We sell food and our restaurant experience as a major reason. How can there not be a single representative of businesses which employ hundreds of thousands on your tourism task force? Well, there's significant engagement with, uh, with the businesses that... They're that, not on that, the task force, no why not? I, I'm not the minister responsible for that, so that's a Could question. you not bring it up with the minister? I absolutely will. I'll reflect the feedback I received and also what, what Nora said. Like, and why don't we see more ministers from the Department is, of Business? I'm sorry, I've said it time and again. The Tornished is in charge of business and I understand he has a much bigger brief in terms of COVID and he's very involved in all of those areas. Big, huge issues for the country. But where are the rest of them? 
I'm out talking about business all the time. I don't mean ministers from the Department of Enterprise and Business. I don't meet them. They're not out and about. Why aren't they front and centre constantly? Economic empowerment in this country, when SMEs, a quarter of a million of them, are on their knees, they should they be on every have a rural programme announced this week for jobs and business in rural Ireland? I do agree with all of that. I have to say 100% agree with the rural-centric approach in terms of SMEs. My point is... Even, you know, Noel is there defending the the hospitality industry and and the pub industry. If you run a coffee shop in Westport and you're on your knees now and you've used all your cash reserves and you've more money to reopen, you won't reopen. Not because there isn't a need for a coffee shop in Westport. There'll be a Starbucks there in six months' time. We need to support Indigenous industry to stay afloat. Okay, we have to leave it there. Our thanks to Nora Casey and Noel Anderson for joining us. Minister of State Jack Chambers will be staying with us. And after the break, have we left it too long when it comes to opening up sports and socialisation for young people? As Enfit warns, we need to limit social contacts over Easter. And would you vaccinate your children? Parenting journalist Jen Hogan will also be joining us. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome back. Minister of State Jack Chambers is still with us. We're also joined by parent and author Jen Hogan. And Jen, one thing the government has backed down on in the last 24 hours is the sale of children's shoes in shoe shops. Why has this become such an issue? I think it's because, I mean, I think a lot of parents certainly feel that the needs and the rights of children haven't been prioritised all along. And it's a constant feeling. I mean, we've seen it with the schools. The fact that this row was going on for so long about children's shoes, it's actually crazy that it even needed to be a row, that that it couldn't be recognised immediately that children's shoes were an essential item, that it's not as simple as ordering online and getting a shoe to fit and that'll be grand. And some of the arguments against it were just crazy. So I think it's just just representative, I suppose, of really government position, it seems to be, around children. They are not a priority and teenagers are not a priority and that seems to be the way that it's continuing. And then what about that, even though all the teenagers are now due back in school from the 12th of April, that they're not allowed to play organised sport. I mean, where's the logic in saying you can sit in a classroom with 30 others and a teacher and worry about the ventilation, but you can't actually play sport outside? Again, yeah, I think yesterday, again, a lot of parents welcomed this whole idea that children or the teenagers and children could return to, to sport at the end of next month. But, but like you're saying there, it's, it's kind of crazy that we are still waiting another month. It's been gone so long. They've had so little for so long. Sport is such so important for them, their mental health, their well-being, everything. And we can already see the parks are full, the playgrounds are full, the greens are full. So organised sport is so safe. I have a few children who participate in it and hopefully they'll be back as well at the end, the end of April. But I mean, the, the sorry. Are you afraid that the unstructured activities at present could be actually of more danger than the structured things which are prohibited? You'd have to presume so, Matt, because when you when you look at the rules and the regulations and all the different guidelines that have to be followed ahead of just um, the fifteen pod training. 
it, it, you feel very safe as a parent sending your child to sport every day or every week, whatever the training sessions are happening. And I can see around the sidelines, the parents drop their children, they filled out the forms, all the protocols are followed, they're back in their car waiting to pick up. There's no hanging around the sidelines, there's no shared lifts, there's none of this happening. It's all incredibly safe. Out in the greens, out in the parks, kids are playing, teenagers are playing. We've got to the stage where I do wonder, does the government actually see what's going on in reality? Because the idea that you're going, we're going to keep our teens and children indoors for much longer in front of screens and go out for just a little walk around and that's going to be enough for them. And I also want to ask you about non-sporting activities mm. in a second, but Jack Chambers, you've got responsibility for sport in your ministerial brief. Surely it makes more sense to allow for organised, structured activities where safety protocols can be put in place rather than the ad hoc stuff, which is clearly happening. But what is happening is we are seeing a broad return to sport and that's one thing we prioritised in this review um, and I accept it's a, it's a phased cautious return and it doesn't, it's not front loaded. Is it taking the reality of the situation into account? In, you look at the pictures yesterday, they're again online today, they'll be in tomorrow morning's newspapers of all teenagers and people in their early 20s who are at the moment sitting out in fields or by the river or by the canal or whatever in Dublin and they're drinking because they have nothing else to do. Would it not be better to have structured activities available to them. And they will be available uh, on the on the they will be available in, about in, a month's a, in, time. in April. Well look it's it's what we try to do is on the twelfth of April every child will be back in school, and which is hugely important in terms of children and their education. That's something government has tried to prioritise in the reopening, is, is actually getting every child back at school. That hasn't happened yet. We're, that, that is happening on the 12th of April. Uh, and what we said in April, that be, there'd be a phased reopening. Uh, and as Minister for Sport, I've absolutely prioritised that with all the governing bodies. We want to see uh, sport reopen. And there'll be a further examination of what the broader reopening of sport in May as well. Um, but I agree around the, the physical activity, the well-being, uh, and we need to try and, I, I, you know, I, 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 I'd be... I'd be concerned about the drop-off in physical activity over the last two months, but we'll be doing everything we can as a government to get as many children back with their teams, pursuing the sports that they were in uh, prior to the current lockdown. And I can assure you of my bona fides there. We, I had a positive engagement with, with many young people in, in the last couple of weeks, and we're going to have a lot okay, of engagement. Well, well, let's new move it on a bit, Jen. What about non-sporty mm. children? People, children who like drama or yeah, dance yeah. or other things. What about them? I mean, they've been without their activities for the guts of a year or the indoor sports, you know, uh, children maybe who do swimming, even things like that, and the drama, the arts, all these things have been decimated. And there's that total lack of appreciation, perhaps, for how important these things are to children because this is where a lot of children find their tribe, where they, children take part in activities for all sorts of different reasons. It can be to, to work on different coordination skills, it can be to build confidence, it can be because perhaps they don't fit into the education system and there is isn't, you'll be hard pressed to find a bigger advocate than me for reopening schools and at the pace yeah. that they have gone has been really, really slow mm -hmm. because when we move towards April the 12th, children with additional needs in mainstream education will still haven't returned until that date. But this is where sports also is really, really important. It's important for health and wellbeing, but it's also important for health and coordination. Jen, and the something else I want to bring up because Kingston Mills mentioned it earlier that there are now going to be vaccines that are suitable for teenagers mm -hmm. and children and we may need it because if we're going to get herd immunity. Do you think with the parents of our Ireland, if they're going to be vaccinated themselves, will also be happy to get their children vaccinated. I think they will be as long as, I mean, the adequate research is carried out. I think we, I mean, any of the parents I'm speaking to, they're keen to get back. They're concerned about their children, obviously, in the settings. While, they, while the vast majority of parents I speak to, particularly in school, with 
children in schools and settings like that, they're very keen for them to be in. Nobody wants their children to catch COVID. Nobody wants their children to pass COVID on to a vulnerable person. So I do think there will be a high take up, mm. a high take up there too. I do think parents are very open to that sort of thing and accepting our responsibility as a society moving forward to, to play our role in the vaccination process and to, to be vaccinated ourselves and have our children vaccinated once it's all approved. Just want to finish on something else, Jack, because you have responsibility for sport. There are supposed to be, what is it, four games in the European Championships that were postponed from last year, played in Dublin this summer. Is that actually going to happen, given that you won't be able to allow crowds in? Well, there is a request from UEFA to uh, to guarantee minimum 25% of spectators, which we can't give that assurance for June. Um, but that'll be sim- that'll be similar across many other European cities. Um, but we're having positive engagement with UEFA through the Football Association of Ireland. Um, and the, the point after that will be on second countries that may face mandatory quarantine. So we have a secondary issue that we'll have to examine in the context of... And do you see us getting to get any live sport that we can visit, go to, like All-Ireland Championship matches, rugby internationals during 2021? I think absolutely we will be. Uh, I, I, I would hope uh, if you look in the autumn, we'll have vast, nearly everybody vaccinated in the adult population. Uh, and we have a return to spectators plan that's with the Department of Health uh, and that, that we're, we, we have planned for this. So whenever it's safe to do so, we will see spectators back and, and at games. And that's what we all want for sport. Looking forward to it. We have to leave it there. Our thanks to Minister of State Jack Chambers and Jen Hogan for joining us. I'll be back on Today FM tomorrow afternoon and then back here tomorrow night at 10 o'clock. Until then, thank you very much for watching. Stay safe and have a very good evening. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series.